Father, do you hear us? Please lend your ear to us. Please listen to our requests. Um, we want to lift up Austin Barnhill, your your boy, your child. Uh, you know him well. And you know that he is there in Iraq. And we want to ask that your hand of blessing and protection would be upon him. And that, Lord, you would even send angels to minister to him tonight and to comfort him and to just... Lord, just bring him sweet rest and peace, Lord. Do not allow anything bad to happen to him. Um, even if bullets come his way, I pray supernaturally they would just fall. And nothing would be able to touch him. You would not get hurt. But, um, Lord, you would be glorified. And that you would use him to be able to bring much uh, peace and love and joy to many brothers, men out there that are struggling, Lord. Sitting there in the desert, maybe just wanting to be home with their family, with their kids. And uh, they have to fight, Lord. They've got to be out there in that desert. And, Lord, um, we ask that he would be a prophet there in that nation, able just to minister to so many, that you would revive his soul. Because I know it could be growing weary even right now as we speak, just wondering when he's going to come home and just can't wait to be back with the Bible study and everything that's happening here in Riverside. And I just pray, Father, as maybe he feels lonely at nights, so that he would feel comforted by you and that he would be blessed. And that he would look at every day as an opportunity to minister to those guys. Please have your hand upon him. We pray for Kent Hoven as he sits in prison. Lord, we ask that he would be freed, Lord, as he is in prison, God, for, man, what he shouldn't be. Just sitting there in that cold cell and has been tormented in, in so many different things. And we ask that he be set free just as they prayed for Paul, just as they prayed for Peter. God, that he would be let out soon and that you would give him peace, Lord, as he sits there night after night wishing he could be home with his wife and his family. Deliver him, Father. Teach him the things that you desire there in that cell. We ask that you would have your way in his life. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. 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 (sighs) I guess we should just jump right into things tonight. Some shocking things have happened this week. I don't know if you saw on the news. I'm sure many of you have. Um, I, what was it? Was it, Derek, was it uh, yesterday? Was it yesterday? It was, huh? Yesterday, um, we have actual marriages happening, uh, with homosexuals in Hollywood. And, um, man, it was, what a scene. I didn't actually get to see what was happening there. But um, but it was I, I heard some of it on the you know over the radio I guess or actually no I was I was talking on the phone and Derek was like just kind of giving me commentary on what was happening and man I heard uh, I heard people like yelling out stuff like you're going to hell and all this stuff and I was just thinking man what a terrible representation of Christ terrible somebody stoned them you know it's like what are you doing wait like Way to, way to give a bad name to the church, you know, way to give a bad name to Christians. And again, God does not hate that person. You know, we've all we were all in sin, man. He he is he is he is angry with the sin, absolutely. But the thing is, is you know, we've we're all in sin. It's not it, it's no different. I if a man lives after a woman, he is in the same sin, he's in the same boat. If you steal, you're in the same boat. If you lie. If you you even gossip about so you were in the same boat, there's no difference there. 
But we are called to a higher standard than the average Christian. I'm telling you this because, hey, opposition is going to come there even within your workplace or within your school or within your family. It's like, oh, what do you stand? What I mean, what are you going to look down on, on homosexuals? It's just like, no, 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 absolutely not. And we have great opportunity to love people in this day where people do not want to love, huh? The church will close the doors and say this and that. No. Hey, sinners are welcome. Christ said, I did not come to help the healthy. I came to help the sick. And every single one of us were sick, weren't we? And made whole. And not because of anything that we've done. Absolutely not. Because of what He chose to do. And we praise Him for that. But we have great opportunity in the midst of our generation as hey, Christians are giving a bad name uh, to Christ. Bummer to really set things straight. And if you know someone who is openly confess, hey, I'm a homosexual, and I, hey, then love them. And make extra effort, man, to, to show Christ to them, I would encourage. And um, there is going to be great opposition uh, on, on how to make a stand for this and where you stand. And I would encourage you to be very tactful. Very tactful. What does that mean, Josh? That means when you present evidence for why you believe what you believe, that you do it in love. That you do it not with an angry tone, not with a disgusted tone. No, you're, you're missing it. We are to do it in a manner in which we represent God correctly. And I don't think God is some ticked-off guy in the sky ready to kill everybody. No, He's not. He is what? Righteous and just in all His ways. I don't think He's an angry judge like banging on the... Quiet! No, he, he's calm. He's He's cool. Very precise, very stern, very direct. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, he is. But at the same time, he is what? The lamb. He is the lamb. A perfect picture of God. And so, yes, he will ex execute precisely. But he is a lamb with compassion who loves his people. He loves people. Yes, he does. God loves you. And he loves this world. And I'm telling you this because many times our eyes will look at people and say, huh, what? Oh, God's going to strike you down. Wait a minute. God should have struck you down. Okay? And we need to be very... This is a great opportunity. Who in the 70s did the church reject? The hippies. Hippies aren't coming to the church. Absolutely not. They need to cut their hair first and put on some shoes and a shirt. And then we'll accept them. And what happened? Tons of people came to know Jesus. Who? The hippies. All of a sudden, hippies everywhere in the church. And they called the Jesus movement. And I don't know if we can... Many dispute whether or not it was a complete revival or not. But bottom line is, a lot of people came to know Jesus during that time because somebody chose to reach out to them. And I believe there are two sects of people, sects of people here in this age that what? Are rejected by the church. Number one, and by America, homosexuals, number two, the Muslims. Yep. Someone has a towel around their head, all of a sudden it's just like there's a big, you know, like there's confusion and like, uh-oh, uh-oh, the enemy. What? Open your eyes, people. Great opportunity to minister and to love. Did you know that the nation of Jordan right now, like revival is starting to break out from the inside because what? Somebody chose to reach out to them. I remember, I think it's like 1% of the church in America reaches out to Muslims here in America. 
What is that about? Because think about it. Who, what church, where do you see, are going to the mosques and showing love? Who, where, where? Maybe that's what we're called to. Maybe there's some here in this group who will choose to love and to reach out. It's the love of God that draws a man to repentance. Hey, if a man thinks he's perfect, show him the law. You're a sinner. If a man knows he's a sinner, show him love. That's what they need. And we have great opportunity in this day. We've got to stand up. We're losing the race here in America. And um, just like it's so interesting that once that was some... Once that was, I'm sorry, something that was once a church issue is now a state issue. Who created marriage? God. Where is it found? In the Bible. How has the government come into play with marriage? How has that happened? It is because the church does nothing. And the government will continue to delegate the church as long as we don't vote. I bet many of you don't even know when the time is to vote for a governor or to vote for anyone here, our mayor, what it's like, huh, huh? Because we don't think about that. We is, And so guess what? We will continue to... Hey, people who do know and are educated and the liberal... I think it's like... there was. I was reading a statistic. 95 or 96% of homosexuals voted. There you go. Whoever votes wins. Do you understand that? Do you get that? And if no one writes a letter or nobody stands up, then nothing's going to happen. And we, they will take it like candy from a baby. And they'll just say, aha, you little Christians, all of you, you know, it's like we got you because, you know, you, you do the whole thing with like Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, so that means don't vote. No, no. We are to be involved in politics to a certain degree. We're not going to riot. We're not going to protest but you need to be educated on the times. David was a king. President, yes he was. And there are many throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, who are very educated on what was going on. And um, Daniel, I mean a great illustration. Why do I say all this? Because man, it's happening right now and this week and I couldn't even believe my ears when I was hearing over the phone what was happening. There was a lesbian rabbi speaking in Hebrew marrying this gay couple. There you go. And uh, Hollywood's going to throw it in our face, and so get ready for a battle. How do we win? Love. Gandhi had a great approach. Don't fire back. Just let them shoot us. And uh, when you love, they can't do anything. They can just, what? Look at you and either appreciate it or get more angry. And the blame will be on them. So we must attack in love and be in action in that. Amen? We have a lot of work to do, family. But I believe it can start right here in this coffee shop with these group of people. With you guys, one at a time. Dave, what are you supposed to be doing? Matt, what are you supposed to be doing? Ty, come on. Let's get busy. Ryan, we know what we need to be doing in our workplace. Dave, we got to be moving, each one of us individually. We do our part. You play your part. I'll play mine. My part right now is to work with Harvest Crusades and to minister to the people. That's what I do. And so I'm going to do the best I can. What are you to be doing? You play your part and I'll play mine. Amen? We'll watch the city turned upside down. We are in Job chapter 16 tonight. If you have your Bibles, I feel like I've talked too much already. 
Like your ears might be exhausted with my voice. Yes. And so I would encourage you to gird up your minds because, um, you know, to be honest, this chapter isn't really, uh, it's not that long and it's not, I don't know, it, it, it's a hard one to teach. I'm telling you, I'm, there's only like two or three points that I could really find. So unless the father strikes me with lightning, which he usually does, and you know, I lecture for like an hour, um, we might be done a little early tonight and, uh, well, I shouldn't even said that. You're like, yes. He's not going to talk long. And all of a sudden it's like, dang, Josh, hour and a half, man, get done. JK, just kidding. It's not going to happen. Let's uh, go before the Father and ask Him to bless our time, huh? Ah, Father, mm. what is happening? Lord, your church is lazy. And um, it's true, we sit in the pews, we do our thing week in and week out, concerned about our lives and our success and the goals that we have set for ourselves. We think nothing of your kingdom and what you need to do and what you desire to do here in this nation. And so, Lord, I'm going to ask that you would reconstruct our lives even tonight and that there would be a new focus and a new direction for every single one of us and that we would lay it down and that somehow we'd be able to lay aside our visions, our goals, and our decisions that we want for our lives and bring in yours. Opening up and saying, Father, whatever you want, I am available to start doing right now. Speak to me. We ask you to speak to us, Father. We need your help. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Job chapter 16. I actually printed out a uh, New Living Translation just as well, which I might read through completely just to get a different picture. And I don't know if I really like the translation 100%, but, you know, um, it kind of lightens things up a little bit. King James is so thick sometimes, it's hard to understand, especially the book of Job. What poetry you see here. Um, I mean... It is the oldest book in the Bible, and so, I mean, the language, uh, very thick, especially Job, this man, this righteous man. But what we have here in, in, the, in the 16th chapter is uh, Job responding to Eliphaz um, for the fifth time, number five. So what's happening here in Job? If you don't know, there... Lucifer walked into heaven one day and said, Hey, God, uh, or God said, Hey, Lucifer, what's up? What have you been up to? He's like, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. And then he says, uh, Well, have you considered my servant Job, the stud? This guy is righteous in all of his days. Man, look what he does. And we read there, remember, he was a great father. I got to speak uh, at my dad's church on Father's Day. It was beautiful. And yeah, my dad was there, and it was just, it was really cool. And Job was brought to my mind because I think he's probably the greatest father in all the Bible. We see him, what, sacrificing for his children, all ten of them, every day. And uh, that is a task alone. Try to sacrifice one animal. He did ten, I believe, for each child, one for each child. And, uh, well, he sacrificed, period, for his children every day. I don't know if I can get specific about it, but that's an amazing job. That's an amazing ordeal. And God counted him righteous. That's the only thing we have recorded of this man. So that's who he is. He's a great father. 
and he was known very well in his city there, and he was very wealthy, and uh, he was well off. What happened? Lucifer challenged. He said, hey, hey God, start taking things away from him, and uh, he's not going to serve you. God's like, oh, yeah? Well, watch this. Okay, you can take everything, everything around him, just don't touch him. So that's what happens. Lucifer comes and rips everything from him. Everything. Can you imagine everything ripped from you? What do you have right now? Some of you are like, not much. Okay, what if he just ripped your wardrobe from you? Okay, every clothes, every bit, all you got, and maybe all you got is what you got on your back. What are you going to do tomorrow? Uh, go to the store and get more? I know, I know. I know what you would do. What if your bank account's cleaned out? What if your parents don't have any money? What if the house is gone, the car is gone, and you guys are, hey, living right out there, right there in that parking lot, and walking around talking to people, just asking for some clothes? Um, and you get some money. Well, I'm not going to a thrift store to buy clothes. Absolutely not. I, I mean, I'm going to save up enough to go to Nordstrom's, give me some nice jeans. <sighs> what would we do if everything was stripped from us? Well, that's what happened to Job. And there he is still not forsaking his king, his God. Amazing. Many times Christians, I see it all the time. I see it amongst the sheep. When things don't go the way that you want them to, you get angry at God. Me too. And it's sad. Because we should know what? God knows best. What He wants is the best. So if it happens to you, good. It's a good thing. Josh, but it hurts and it's hard and it's, hey, really bums me out and brings me down. God knows what He's doing. And He knows what He's doing in Job's life, doesn't He? Even we see the big picture, don't we? We see. Hey, all the chapters here. We see the last chapter, and we go read it right now. But you're saying, Josh, you can't read the last chapter in my life. I know. Me neither. God knows best, as we looked at the weeks before. So Job gets everything taken from him, and then Lucifer comes back, and he's like, well, the only reason he's still walking with you is because he has his life. If you take his life from him, if you take his health from him, oh, he's going to get upset, and he will not serve you. It's like, all right. You can do whatever you want, just don't kill him. Now that's a pretty crazy command if you think about it. God is giving permission to Lucifer to do whatever he wants to this child that serves God. And he does just that. He brings what? Great boils upon him. Remember? From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And uh, he tries to scrape it with pottery to try to get whatever it is out of his wounds, probably pus and all, who knows? Can you imagine your entire, he's, it's like he can't even sit down, just sit, it hurts, just sit. I remember a buddy was telling me, I don't know if I told you guys this before, but his body broke out, and um, broke out for like three or four months, and just, it was like, yeah, like zits or like boils all over his body, his entire body, his face, everything. And he said he had to wear this uh, this silk like blanket or robe, and that's the only thing he could. And he just laid there in his bed, and he didn't know if it was ever going to go away. He just laid there, and he said, "I couldn't even move. It was like if I just move anything, it would just some something would break open, or I would just be sitting there. It's like I just couldn't move." And I was just like, "Are you serious?" I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Are you serious?" One of my buddies, man. He actually taught a devo here. You know who he was if I said. But um, he told me that. I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, I just laid in bed for like four months. And I just cried out to God, cried out to God, cried out to God. One day, I just, it, just, I'm, it was gone. All of a sudden, it just started healing up. And uh, that was the end of that. And it's just never come back. 
and nobody could really figure it out. But this is the state that Job's in. And I'm telling you, if you were in that state, what would you think? Probably think, I'm never going to get married one day. Probably think, um, I never get to wear clothes again. I never get to go to school and do all the things that normal people do. Uh, my life's wrecked. And I'm sure Job is thinking this. And we see him very upset and bummed out at his situation. But what? He never curses God the entire time. Amazing. Amazing. And guess who comes to him? His friends, supposedly friends, quotes. Because, hey, his friends come and what do they do? They start like calling him out. Like, Job, what did you do, man? What, have you not been faithful to God? Why is all these bad things happen to you, happening to you? And what you must understand too, family, is this. When you look at somebody and you see their life going wrong, don't point the finger and think what? They're not walking with God. That's why that's not working out for them. And that's why this, whoa, wait a minute, you're just like Job's friends. Many times we do that. When things aren't going the best in someone's life, we'll instantly look at them and think what? Hey, the ones who walk with God the closest will be what? The most blessed. Uh-oh. Man. I tell you sometimes, you know, it's like the closer I walk with God, it seems like the more things come. And it seems like I just experience deeper and deeper things that I wonder about. And I really do think I have the greatest life in the world because I have Superman to save the day. But man, if I didn't have Superman, if I didn't have God, I'd be a wreck. I think the only reason God brings things my way in this load and this amount, I just day after day is thinking like, what? When do things turn for the up, Lord? When 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 do I kind of get ahead? When when do things kind of, you know, like I for two months, you know, things are just prosperous and great. The Lord has His ways. He knows what He's doing. And even in Job's life, He is what? He is about to raise up and exalt one of the greatest men to ever live. Right here, right? We're looking at it. One of the greatest men to ever live, if not the greatest. Job there. Um, a righteous man in all his days and his generation more than any other. He put him through the worst thing any man could ever experience or go through. Huh? And why is it that the greats always go through the hardest things? They're broken. Everything's taken from them. Look at Paul. How many times was he beat? His body broken. Remember, he got thirty. He got forty minus one. What does that mean? That means thirty-nine lashings. I think he got it two times. Thirty-nine lashings. You know, like getting scourged, like Jesus, like the whole whip thing on the back. Yeah, you got that twice. Shipwrecked. Stoned. This is Paul the Apostle. Yeah, remember the, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Put in prison, jailed. The greats. Why are always Peter, who established the church, crucified upside down. Stephen, stoned. All the disciples died for their faith. John put on a uh, island, island of Patmos, by himself. What if somebody just shipped you off to an island, just dumped you there? See ya. Bye. Have a good life. And that's where he died. Wow, that Christianity thing doesn't sound like the best life, does it? But how are these men so joyful? It's because they continued to walk with God. 
They clinged on to Superman. We're going to look at a principle tonight. In the midst of hard times, things that we can do and things that which are okay, and I think will bring comfort to many of you. And so let's dive right into this chapter as we see Job answering his friend as his friend has retaliated all kinds of things to him like, man, Job, what do you do? You're a sinner. Why aren't things working out for you? You're not serving God. That's why everything's so bad for you. If you'd only repent and all this. It's like, dude, be quiet. He's the right, most righteous man in all the nation there. So look what happens there in verse 16. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. See how he straight up says it to their face. Hey, you guys. Yeah, you three, my friends, you are miserable comforters. That means you are not helping. You are putting me down and beating me up when look at me. I'm a mess. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answereth? Answerest. I also could speak as you do if your soul were in my soul's stead. I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. Okay, we'll stop there. What is he saying? He's like, when when are you going to stop babbling on? When are you going to stop putting me down? When are you going to stop attacking me? And he said, I could do the same thing that you guys are doing right now. If you're in a bad time, I could turn around and just start putting you down and calling you out. But he says what? There, the next verse, verse 5. He says, But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should sewage your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not a sewage. And though I forbear, what am I eased? But now, we'll stop, actually, we're going to stop there. Verse 6. He says, I would be one to strengthen you if you're going through hard times and encourage you. And you'll notice throughout this whole chapter, these men don't pray for him. They don't, they don't lift up a prayer for him even once. You know, when people are going through hard times, sometimes you think you got the answer. Like, you need to make sure that they get this point. Maybe even a brother is in sin or a sister is in sin. And you're just looking at him in the face and it's just like, oh, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to make sure that they know this point because I got the answer that is going to set them free. And like they're talking and, and, and they're not exactly receiving 100%. And you keep trying to nail them and keep trying to nail them and keep trying to make sure they know. Wait a minute. The best thing you could do is lay hands on them and pray for them. Not one of those condescending prayers like, oh, Lord, I know Joey's such a sinner. And uh, he's just messed up, and he's messed up his life. And man, just look at it. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why not pray a, a word of encouragement over them? Lord, I thank you for Joey. What a blessing he has been. That he knows you. That he knows your word. That he is a man who loves to seek your face. And all of a sudden he's what? Conviction, conviction. I love the way John Corson teaches. You'll never see the man scream off the pulpit unless he's laughing. <laughs> but the way he convicts the crowd is not, you, you sinners, you don't read your Bible every day and you don't pray. I know it. You don't go to, what are you doing in here? No. He just says, I know you guys. Such a blessing. You read the Word every day. You walk with God closely. I know. You love to pray for one another. You love loving your family member. You're just like, not me, not me, not me, not me, 
miss that one too. And conviction just starts to... It's a great tact. I've learned the same. And if you want to rebuke someone, the best way to do it is not ever in anger or screaming or yelling. If you're angry, you're in sin every time. Man, I think a lot of preachers will even stand before God who are come off very angry at times. Um, I can't point the finger at who, and I'm not going to even try to start. I'm just saying that I hope that in their anger they can stay righteous the entire time. That there's not a time when they're actually condemning someone within their heart, judging them. Remember? Judge not lest you be judged. What do you mean, Josh? Not judging their fruit. No, no, no. You can judge the fruit. That's fine. But judging whether or not they have salvation. Like you're going to hell because of this and this. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You're God. Wait, you better be careful, buddy. And that pastor this and judge him that. Whoa, wait a minute. That man has led people to Jesus. You're going to stand before God. You better be careful. So I'm very careful to mention any name off this pulpit of any preacher unless he is teaching complete 100% heresy that is what different from the essential doctrines of Jesus Christ in Christianity. If you point the finger at somebody, you will stand before God for it. So you better be very careful with your mouth. And I will stand, I hope you know this, family, that I will stand before God that for every word that comes through this microphone. For a teacher is judged more than all the rest. And so I would rather be shut my mouth and not say much than to scream and shout and, and to light people up and to say less than try to say more and think I know. Be very careful, just like Job's friends. They are right now, I was reading some commentaries on it, and what they're doing is uh, they're actually yelling at him and like calling him out and totally trying to rebuke him. And they don't recognize that Job is actually... 100% righteous. He's not in sin even one second. He's doing everything right. And we need to be very careful, okay? Very careful. Even when you rebuke somebody, what's rebuke? When you rebuke someone, you need to be very careful to make sure that you are right in what you're doing first, okay? Because if you're wrong, you're in trouble. Because... You're speaking on behalf of God, supposedly, as if God has revealed to you something that is wrong. So if you're going to rebuke and say, you're in sin, okay, you better be right about that. And if they're not in sin and you just want to just bring something to their attention, hey, that's a, diff- that's a different thing. You can do that. Say, hey, man, I just kind of noticed this. And, you know, I'm I, I w- not trying to really, you know, come down on you or anything like that. I just wanted to, just wanted to share this. just want to let you know. And I have noticed within my own life, I think it's a gift that God has really given to me. Um, I have the gift of exhortation. I don't know if you know. But I can exhort and rebuke, and people kind of enjoy it. They kind of just like take it in. It's like when I light somebody up, even if I'm like just, bam, you know, right in their face, like, praise God. You know, just I just don't get it sometimes. But then I'll have a friend who will do the exact same thing, and the person will get upset with them and angry. And it's not anything of me. It's just, I think, what God has just put in me. It's just something that you just give it. And so if you're not good at doing that, be careful when you do that. Know, know who you are. Know your gifts. and know, know what you're good at and what you're not good at. If you're that ballerina who mommy's been telling you're a great ballerina your whole life, but you're not a good ballerina, be honest with yourself. Guys, if you think you can sing but you can't and you're like trying to, be honest with yourself. 
God has gifted you in greater ways than the singer. And you need to be doing those things. And greater things than the ballerina. I'm telling you, you need to be you need to recognize what you're good at and do it. It's a hard thing for me to realize when I realize my faults and people start telling me what I'm terrible at and what I don't accomplish. I'm just like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Because that's not the way I picture myself. That's not the truth. So rebuke is a good thing. But you need to know how to deliver it and you need to know how to receive it. If somebody rebukes you, even if they do it in the wrong manner, receive it. Receive it. A wise man loves rebuke. Loves it. Somebody calls you out, well, they're wrong. Bless them. Say thank you. And if they're wrong, God will show it to them right there on the spot. It's like somebody comes up, can't believe you did this, 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 you're in sin. Man, I'm so sorry. Didn't mean to offend you. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, you know, you didn't offend me. It's okay. Man, let's pray about that. Why don't you just pray over me right now because I need it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to pray over you. Yeah. <laughs> it's very important that you learn to receive constructive criticism. Yes. And these men here are just lighting Job up. And it's something we need to take note to and never fall into within the church. Amen. Let's move on to this next point here. All of a sudden, God, I mean, Job kind of turns and starts talks, talking about what's going on between him and God. He says, But now he has made me weary. Thou hast made me desolate in all my company. Thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me, and my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. He teareth me in his wrath, who hateth me, who gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemies sharpen his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten upon their, the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. His archers compass me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall or blood upon the ground. He breaketh me with breach upon breach. He ruineth upon me like a giant. I have sowed sackcloth upon my sin and defiled my horn in the dust. My face is foul with weeping, crying, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. For not, I'm sorry, not for any injustice in mine hands. Also, my prayer is pure. Stop there. Now, this almost seems like, wow, uh, it almost sounds like, like there's a phrase there. Did you see that? God hateth me. Absolutely not. That's not the phrase they're used. I was reading it in the original text because it struck me. Why would God hate Job, the righteous one? It is not in that way. It is a picture almost of the way Job feels he is being treated, almost trying to express the agony that he is going through. What God is allowing, it almost seems as if he hates him. And it's the same thing that you may experience in your life, but only a million times worse. Job here is going through extreme agony. And he is expressing from his point of view what he feels God is allowing to happen to him. Now, I don't think that his words, even the way that he is describing 
how can you put into words when God is doing something to you without putting a blame on God or trying to describe what's happening without exactly pointing the finger at Him when He is the one definitely doing it? We see God's hand moving in this completely. But what? God's not doing it to hurt Job and to make him bummed out. He is there expressing His sovereignty, His control of the situation, and how He's going to work through this regardless and prove to Lucifer there's a faithful man here on this earth to me. And in the end, we're going to see that, right? Job, his body's going to heal up. He's going to have grandchildren. And what? He's going to be richer than any man anyone's ever seen. He ends a good life. It even says there in the last chapter, in the last phrases, that he lived a full life. Full. And so we know that these phrases and these things that are coming forth are not... How do I say it? A flawless description of what God is necessarily putting upon Job. Is, is God standing up in the sky as an archer ready to shoot someone? Is God standing up in the sky ready to wring someone's neck? Contradicts the Bible and the character and nature of God. This is not who He is necessarily. It is Job's perspective of what he is experiencing. And what I like about this is this. When I go through hard times, there are many times that I complain. And I do, I complain to God. Father, what's going on? It seems like you have put me up on a target and want to fire at me. It seems like you've wrapped your hands around my neck. It seems as if you are stripping everything away from me. You allow my enemies to rise up against me. You, you slap my cheek. Father, what are you doing? But the Father, obviously, in the end of my prayer, I'm saying what? Lord, I know that You have best. I know that You know what is right. I know that You're working this in me. I know You're doing a great work. Forgive me for even thinking such things. The thing that I find comfort in is Job says all of this and never sinned. He said all of this. It's okay to complain to God. He knows. And I like looking at it in this light, being honest with your God. Being honest and open with Him when you start to really share the deep things that are going on inside you. I think many times as Christians, our prayers are so surface and shallow. We just say things like, God, give me this and thank you for that. What about crying out to Him in agony about the deep things like, Father, my heart hurts deep within. Do you not see? Please help me, King. My stomach turns and tosses all night long because I'm thinking about this thing. Look at the stress. Look how I'm sweating and so worried over this. Help me. Coming to a place of agony and coming to a place of almost complaining and being honest with your God, it brings great comfort to me because many times I thought, like, don't ever say anything that might be negative towards God. It's okay to be honest with your Father. He knows what's going on. It's like the child, you know. They're in the household, stomping, throwing a little tantrum. Hey, Father looks down at the boy and says, I know what he wants. I know what's going on there. And he just doesn't know. He's three years old. He's ignorant. Look at him throwing a tantrum. He doesn't understand why he can't have the toy. He doesn't understand why I took the fruit 
roll up away from him, even though he's 800. He doesn't understand. And God will do the same for us. He is not looking down an angry father. He loves you. And he's looking down with eyes of compassion, saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you. If I've taken this from you, no, I have a reason. It's okay to be honest and open with your God. And I walked away blessed after reading this today, thinking like, wow, (sighs) it brings me rest, Father, because I feel like I complain to you a lot. And here's the most righteous man in the Bible complaining to you. Wow. Brings me comfort. It's okay to be honest with your God in the car. Maybe you start yelling and screaming and angry and the Father's just like, oh, (sighs) it's okay. Don't worry. Don't cry. I've got it taken care of. I've got things under control, Job. It's going to be okay, buddy. Let's close up this chapter here. Job says there, ah, yes, verse 17, not for any injustice in mine hands, also my prayer is pure. You see that? My prayer is what? Pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let my cry have no place. Love that, man. What poetry. Also now behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. He's saying, God is my witness. I'm a righteous man, and I'm not in sin. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. When a few years are come, I shall go the way whence I shall not return. Look back up at that verse real quick. Um, Verse 20, My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. My friends, they don't understand. But what does he do? He cries unto God. Be very careful who you take counsel from. Job is taking counsel from who? His friends. Don't cry to your friends. Girls, be careful. Your friend is going to pat you on the back and tell you what you want to hear. Go cry to your Father in heaven. And He will reprove you and He will speak to you in your situation. Yes. Brothers, be very careful if somebody wrongs you. Yeah, He did this. Wait a minute. Go cry to your friends. You cry to God. You complain to Him first. And let Him deal with you. Let Him minister to you. And let Him open your heart. And bring conviction where it's needed. And bring reproof where it's needed. And clean things up a little bit. Amen? We've got to be a church that does that. We've got to be a people that does that. Because, man, that's how we are many times. Before we seek counsel from God, we go what? We go to everybody else. Don't you understand who you're talking to? This is the man who sees through a glass dimly, does not see clearly a sinful man that you're speaking to, whose heart is wicked, who even as much as they pursue God does not desire to do right. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so you receiving counsel from a brother is important and it can help, but you receive counsel from God first. Cry to Him. Pour out your heart to Him. If you've got a business decision, go to Him. If you've got to figure out what to do about school, go to Him. Before you go to your parents, before you go to anyone, go talk to the Father. And then, go and talk to your friends. Why? Because there's 
Hey, wisdom in a council of many, isn't there? That's wise. It's a good thing to do. But I like that. Job cried to his friends. And then there at the end, he cries out and he says, Oh God, is there a man that pleadeth for his neighbor? Is there a mediator between me and you? Is there one who will plead for me? And he says, When a few years are come, then I shall go the way once I shall not return. He's pretty much saying, I might even die soon. Is there somebody who will mediate for me? What he didn't know is there was one who intercessing for him. Yes. Who is that one? The one who is praying for you right now? The one who, hey, talks to the Father for you daily? The one who is, hey, yes, begging and pleading with the Father to do what's best for you and to have a blessed... Yes, Jesus Christ our King. He is praying for you. Did you know that? It's like if there was anybody to pray for me, who would I want to pray? Let Jesus pray. It's like if there's anybody in the Lord standing in the room, it's just like... I remember all the time, it's like, if I wanted somebody to pray for me in the desert, it was always my friend Christian. Because man, when he prays, God does things. I don't know why. i got a buddy like that now. Anytime I need prayer, I just run to him. It's like, John, please pray for me. Please pray God's will. You just please. Christian too, I still call him. God, you got to pray for you got to pray for this. Only bummer is he always prays what the Father wants. And so it's not what I want sometimes. I remember praying when I was working with Robert. We were doing insurance. I was like, Christian, pray that we get the deal. This is a big account. This could really just like set us. I mean, could bring in big money. It could just really help things out a lot. He starts praying, Lord, if you don't want Josh to have this account because it's going to make him uh, wicked and greedy, don't give it to him. I'm just like, Christian, Christian, you're supposed to pray the good prayer. <laughs> what are you doing? But man, you need to know this, that Jesus is praying for you, our King. Yes, every day, what comfort we can find in that. Huh? He's praying the right prayers. He's doing the right thing. He's interceding for you, my friend. And so, I go away encouraged. What can happen to us, truly? Look at Job. Is there a Job in here? I think not. Not even close. Not even close. You get to eat every day, man. You wear nice, nice clothes. You're good. You're richer than what is it, like 98, 99% of the rest of the world? Yeah, you are. We're blessed. And we have much. If you're not grateful, shame on you. Go before the Father. Talk to Him about it. And recognize what you have. Maybe you need to go home and write down 100 things that you're thankful for. Why? So you can look on paper and recognize that you're blessed. Recognize that you have much. Amen? Let's go before the Lord and ask Him to work these things in us. Oh, Father, thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for Your servant, Job. Man, can't wait to meet Him in heaven. What a brother that just lived for You and literally almost died. Went to probably the most extreme place of death the closest part to man just passing over to the other side but did not die and um, just experienced all this radical sin and heaviness on him and we know there was one who took all the sin and that's our king your son 
We're so thankful for that, and we're so thankful for the lives that you've given us, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that the things that have been spoken to your sheep tonight, that me too, Lord, I would hide these things in my heart that I may not sin against you. That, Lord, we would be changed in an instant, that our eyes would open, that the light bulb would click on inside, and we recognize we need to start moving forward in our walks with you. That we would take the things that you've spoken and apply, not be only hearers but doers of the word in this moment. We choose not to be the same. We've got to change, Father. We want to see change in this city. And it's not going to happen until we change. We are this city. So help us to change tonight. Give us that strength to run from sin. Give us the strength to minister and to love and to be happy and to be blessed and to be joyful in the times when others are not and when times in our own lives are a wreck but that we would praise you and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of our Jesus Christ, our King, Lord, and Savior. We bless you, Lord, tonight. Bless your people as they go. I ask these things. Yes, in your name, King. Amen. Amen. Amen.